0: Galatians chapter 5, we will be reading verses 1 through 6, as God writes through Paul to us, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Father, we praise You for who You are this morning, the great, holy, almighty God. Lord, we come before You unworthily, but Lord, in Jesus we come and You accept us because You accept Your Son. Father, I pray that as we read and study together that You would be glorified, that we would be conformed to His image. Lord, that we would be edified in Jesus' name, amen. We've been learning in Galatians about the danger of trying to work our way into pleasing God. Not only is it impossible to please God through our own obedience, it's dangerous. I went back and I looked at what we've seen so far in Galatians about following the law instead of following Jesus by God's grace through faith. And it's a really dark picture. Remember that all of us, all human beings are born under the law. That's where we begin, and all people will stay in the law unless we see Jesus for who He is, we believe in Him, we we turn away from our sins and repentance. He becomes our Lord, our Master, our Savior, our God, our King. He becomes everything to us. When a person places faith in Jesus and turns away from sin, he is freed from the law. But just for a minute... Consider all that we are subject to in the law, all that we've seen so far in Galatians, just a really quick summary. Remember, the the key here is obey the law. Maybe you believe, but that's not enough. You have to obey, right? That's what we're default to. That's what we can too often turn back to. It's the wrong idea, but this is what we're being reminded and, and being taught about, coming up with rules for ourselves to live by, coming up with rules for other people to live by. It is a different gospel. A gospel that's not from God. It's an accursed gospel, a man pleasing gospel. It's not the true gospel. It's a grace lacking gospel. It's a faithless gospel. It's a blessing blocking gospel. It's a promise preventing gospel. It's a mediated gospel. It's a non justifying gospel, a non redeeming gospel. It's an idolatrous gospel. It's a Scripture-twisting gospel, and it's a true gospel-persecuting gospel. That's what all of our attempts are to obey the law rather than the true gospel, the one that comes from God. In this false gospel, we die we are cursed. We're imprisoned under sin. In it, we are held captive. We're guarded. We're punished and held in it. We're divided up by class or kinds of people in this false gospel of the law. We have no control over ourselves, no true control over ourselves as children, in it, we are enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. We're slaves, slaves to what is not God. We're deceived by false teachers through their flattery and teachings. And again, we're born slaves and we'll remain slaves. Like I said, that's a really ugly picture, and all of that is what Paul has said so far in Galatians about our default position under the law and what it looks like when we turn back to it. God, through Paul, is opening our eyes to see the truth of the terrible condition that we begin in and then too often turn back to. And he continues in this section. It's a really eye-opening section, these six verses. There are three instructions that he's going to give us here. Instruction number one, to living by faith rather than law. Number one, he's going to tell us to stand firm in freedom. Stand firm in freedom, and and this verse, verse 1, could be a conclusion for chapters 3 and 4, it could be an introduction for 5 and 6, or it just stands alone and, and is both. It links all of it together. The idea here is that Christ has set us free so that we will be free. He didn't come to our dungeon slave jail, unlock the door, lead us out, and walk right across the hall into another jail cell. He did not give up His life, purchase us at the cost of His own life and blood to free us from bondage and the curse of obedience to the law, only to shackle us with it all over again. That's like the good news, bad news thing, right? Jesus didn't come to you and say, I've got good news and bad news. Good news is you're getting out of jail. Bad news is you're going right back in. That's that's not the way Jesus works, right? Right? when he releases us from the slavery and the prison of obedience to the law and the curse of the law, because we can't keep it, we never go back. We never go back to that. Now, if we've, if we've never really been set free, if we, just, if we just claim the name of Jesus, but we've, we've held ourselves in that law, that jail cell of, of obedience to the law, well, then we've never been set free. We're still in that place. But once we've been set free, brother and sister, we never go back unless we go back to the jail cell ourselves and close the door behind us, but it's still not locked because we can't even undo what Jesus did. We're free from that unless we try to close ourselves back in. But it was for freedom that Christ set us free. When He makes us free, we stay that way forever. We should live like we're free then. So the command here that Paul gives is to stand firm. Therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't go back to that. Don't give up. Yoke here is obviously not the middle part of an egg, the, the yellow part. That's yolk with an L. This is yoke, the piece of wood that would hold two draft animals together like oxen and make them pull the plow in, in work or, or a wagon. He says, don't do that. Don't submit to that. Do not bow down. Now, why does he give this command? Because it's too tempting for us to do that. It's too familiar to us. It's like we've been saying for, for weeks now as we've been studying Galatians, this is our default position. I want that heavy load on myself because I understand it. I'm familiar with it. I'm comfortable with it. Jesus says, no, don't do that. Do not submit to that. Do not take this on yourself. You're the one who would do this. You do Listen, Satan can't do this to us, brother and sister. Satan can't do this, and Jesus wouldn't do it to us. The only one that can is you or me. We're the only ones that can do this. So these Galatians were just about ready to go back to that. And we can find ourselves ready all too often, ready to go back to it also. But Jesus brought us the true gospel, and he set us free. So stand firm, brother and sister. Stand firm in the freedom that he's given us away from the law, the rules, any of our own efforts. Now, we don't always recognize in life when we do this. We talk about this. We know this intellectually, right? We understand, okay, no law. Don't go back to the law. But we don't always recognize that. We've been talking about how we need to be careful and watchful. You know, following rules that we invent, making ourselves obey, it doesn't seem like it's all that bad. and It doesn't always feel like that's what we're doing. Following the rules that we make up, it seems like a good thing. And and we can justify ourselves in it, but all we're doing is decorating our jail cell when we try to adorn it with our own good works. It's all just going back into slavery in prison that Jesus has freed us from. So, as if all that's not enough, Paul has more for us to learn about, to turn to, to faith in Jesus and away from obedience in the law. In this second instruction, number two, do not submit to circumcision for righteousness. Verses 2 to 3 and 4, this is very specific to their circumstances, okay? The, the, the circumcision here, he says, do not submit to this. Nobody today really is arguing like, hey, man, you need to get circumcised, right? That's not a thing in the church that anybody's really arguing about. And Paul himself didn't have an issue with the act itself. Remember in Acts 16 with Timothy, he had him circumcised for the sake of other people's conscience. It was, it's not an evil thing. We do it today even with babies for hygiene reasons, right? It's not a, the physical act. There's nothing wrong with that. It's the reason that they would have it done, the reason that they would accept it and submit to it. They wanted righteousness before God, and they thought they could get it by doing this. They needed to do this as a starting place. So, what we're understanding here, what we need to see is that it's not just circumcision. It's anything that we stand in here. You can, in your notes there where it says circumcision, you could scratch it out and write anything. Do not submit to anything that you can do for righteousness before God. It doesn't have to be circumcision. It can be anything we do or don't do for the purpose of making ourselves holier before God right, trying to improve our standing before God, that could be included here. Well, I better read the Bible today because that's when God does good things for me, right? When I obey, He does good to me. False gospel of the law. Catch that in our minds. We don't read His Word because we want Him to do good things to us. That's not how it works. I better pray today because I'm supposed to. False gospel of the law. We need to be praying We need to be reading the Word, but not because we can get or not so we don't have to have or whatever our purpose is in our minds that we, you know, oh, I better go to church today so they don't preach another sermon about why I should go to church. (laughs) Right? False gospel of the law. We understand that circumcision is a stand-in for any kind of law obedience that we try to produce, any kind of rules that we try to follow in the place of the true gospel of Jesus. Now, what he does here in these verses, it's, he gives some severe outcomes, some problems that happen when we try to go back to that. There are four severe outcomes here. And he says, you're not going to see it this way. It's not going to occur to us when we go back to the law to see it this way. But there are four of them. He says, look, notice this, understand this. It's me, Paul, and I'm telling you that you know who I am. I'm telling you this. You need to, you need to see the truth. Open your eyes to see. If you accept law obedience, you are, A, kept from Christ's advantage. Verse 2. That's the first outcome. The word advantage here is the word for help or benefit or profit or advantage. What help is there from Christ when you are trying to earn your righteousness all by yourself? When you're doing your works and, and following the law, what help does Jesus give you? None. Jesus doesn't help you. Do we, do we, did we catch this here? Have, have we thought of this? I mean, it hit me like a, a ton of bricks this week as I was studying. You know, you, you get to life and, and things are really hard, and you say, why is, why is it so hard? I mean, look at all the things I'm doing and I'm trying to do, and God, I'm trying to live for you, and it doesn't seem like Jesus is helping me. He's not. He doesn't help us to do the law, to obey the law. He will not help us to struggle in our own strength. The advantage of Jesus, the help of Jesus is in setting us free from the burden of the law, releasing us from the slavery and bondage of making myself obey and forcing others to obey also. All those things we do in legalism and following the law, Jesus does not look at us and change His mind and say, well, you're mean well and you're trying so hard. I'll just come alongside you and help you, help you keep all those rules that you've got so you can try to make God love you more or so you can make people respect you more or look up to you and think highly of you. you no, know, Christ is of no advantage to us when we turn to the law. He brings us to nothing when we turn to, our, to, our, to ourselves in the law. He helps us see the futility. It's not, like he, it's not like Jesus goes away from us, brother or sister. In Christ, He is always there, but He doesn't help us. He, he lets us feel the futility and, and come to the end of ourselves so that we'll turn to Him. The advantage of Christ is not in helping you in the burden of the impossible, keeping the law perfectly, but releasing you from the impossible because He already did it. But if you're going to turn to works, You might as well forget about claiming the name of Jesus. And we'll talk about that a little bit more, but you've turned to a different religion when you turn to works, when you look at yourself as the one who can please God and make others respect you. Now, we're not talking about the unpardonable sin here, right? We can turn to Jesus, and then as we believe in Him and as we become saved, He justifies us, He redeems us. We can turn ourselves back to the law again but we can repent. We can turn to the Lord, return to Him, and He is gracious to forgive. In a sense, this is a constant daily struggle for us, Christian. This is something that we should be struggling with. This is a daily part of our life because our flesh always wants to drag us back to the law, drag us back to the rules. So, we have to learn to say no to the law and no to flesh and say yes to Jesus every day, throughout the day. And it looks like so many different things. We, we try to, to make sure that we can see this in our lives so that we don't just make… This isn't just theory, right? This isn't just um, ethereal mystery knowledge out there. Uh, this is how I struggled with it for a time in my life without even realizing it and not, and not recognizing this. At the time, I thought, I knew Jesus is my Savior, right? He, he's the answer. Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. But my flesh said, but just in case, <laughs> just in case, you know… It, just in case it is good works, and your good works have to outweigh your bad works, I'll do some good things. I'll be a good person, right? So that's, that way I've got a backup plan. <laughs> I'll be okay either way. Jesus is the answer. I know He is. But just in case, I just have the doubt. I just want to be a good person. Wrong. Fail. False gospel of the law. Christ is of no benefit, no advantage. He's not plan A with a, a plan B close behind. <laughs> Right? There is no other way. He, either, he is either the way or He's not the way. He's not a way or a mixture of another way. He's not, it's not just in case that things don't work out. When we turn to the law, we're turning from what Christ has done for us. And He does not help us to feel better in that. He doesn't comfort us in that. You know, when we wonder, you know, how come I'm not feeling any comfort from the Lord? How come I don't feel His presence? Well, sometimes it's because we've turned away from Him and to the law and to ourselves, and He is of no advantage to us. He gives us no help. He doesn't help us to obey the law. He doesn't empower and enable us in service this way. And He will not reward us for that kind of work. He does not help you until you realize how far away from perfection you are, in your pitiful little list of good works. That's what he said to me. Maybe he'd be a little bit more gracious with you. But he had to get my mind, you know, in the right place. He had to wake me up. Your pitiful little list of works that you think are so good, when you realize how how far short they fall of his perfect holy standard, that's when he helps you to turn to him and receive grace. So you believe in him instead of yourself. And it's the opposite that's so encouraging to us. Without In the the law, in the rule obedience that we prefer and that we default to, there's no help from Jesus. But when we turn to Him, by His grace through faith, there is all the help we will ever need. He does give us help. He's always there for us. One writer said it this way, that Christ supplemented is Christ supplanted. We we try to help Him out. We try to do what we can do. We're, We're replacing Him. So turn to Jesus and turn to Him alone. Remain in Him and remain in Him alone. Do not submit to the law. You're kept from Christ's advantage. There's another outcome, B, in verse 3. The next outcome is that you become obligated to keep the whole law. Obligated to, to keep the whole law. When you decide to turn to the law for your salvation, whether justification or sanctification, as we've talked about, You're taking upon yourself not just the parts that you like, not just the parts that you think you can obey, but the whole thing, the whole law. Remember Galatians 3.10, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Remember James 2.10, Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, he is guilty, he is accountable for all of it. Why? Why is it set up that way? Well, James explains in the next verse in James 2 there, when he says, He who said do not commit adultery... Also said, do not murder. If you commit adultery but do not murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. We can't just pick and choose which parts we like. God has given His law. It's His law. And just as He is holy and perfect and pure and complete, so is His law. And so we can't have just part of it. He gave it to us in full. As Jesus explains in the Sermon on the Mount, it's a whole holistic holiness from within to without, every part without a doubt. It's perfection. You can't break any part of it and it still remain the whole. So Paul says I testify again to every person this fact. He said it before it bears repeating no person Jew or Gentile can accept circumcision and only keep that part or the parts that he likes. You have, you've decided to keep the whole law and you become not just that it is what you've chosen to do you become obligated he says. He says here that you have become obligated to fulfill it all. You owe it like a debt. I don't know if you've heard of the man Jérôme Corviel. He holds the distinction for the most indebted person in the world. He holds this this distinction. I'm not sure it would be the one that I would try to uh, compete for. But the record for the largest debt ever by a single person, Jérôme Corviel, he was found guilty of scamming the French bank, Société Générale, $6.3 billion. That is an amazing amount of debt. He owes every penny of that. But that pales in comparison to the debt that we owe to God when we take His law and we say, This is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to try to please God. $6.3 billion is nothing compared to the debt that we owe if we think we can impress others and God through our works, through ourselves. We become obligated to take on the whole thing. The law that crushed Jesus because of our sin, the law that would send us to hell forever, we think we can just keep a few check boxes here and there and, and complete it, fulfill it. Galatians 2.16 says, By the works of the law, no one will be justified. So not only do we obligate ourselves to the whole law, we make ourselves accountable to it, which brings God's judgment. We owe complete obedience, and because we can't, we're owed judgment. The punishment that comes to the full extent of the law. So don't turn that way to become a Christian. Don't try to follow God's law to become a Christian. And as a Christian, as a believer, don't turn back to that. The outcome of that is that you keep yourself from any advantage from Christ and that you obligate yourself to the whole law. But there's a third severe outcome here. In verse 4, see in our notes, you're severed from Christ. Severed from Christ. The word sever here means to destroy or to bring to an end. That's the picture of what happens to our either relationship or fellowship with Christ when we turn to the law. Now, there is a change here in verse 4 from verses 2 and 3. In verses 2 and 3, you, you remember he was talking about circumcision as, as making Christ of no advantage and making you obligated to the whole law. Here, he says you're severed from Christ, you Who would be justified by the law. Now that's essentially synonymous, but it adds a fine point to it and it helps to bring clarity. Our works of righteousness are essentially our attempts to be justified by the law. The outcome of that is that you sever any relationship with Jesus Himself. Verse two, it was bad enough that you kept yourself from Jesus' benefits. Here in verse four, you're keeping yourself from Jesus Himself. Now, this applies most obviously and directly to the person who is wanting to become a Christian, right? You know, I've I've heard the good news. I've I've heard some good things. I want to be a part of this whole thing. So I want to try to be justified, declared righteous through my works. He says, no, you're you're severing yourself from Christ. If you turn to the law, to yourself to obey the law, forget calling yourself a Christian. Not only does Jesus not help us, we've we've been cut off from him. If you decide, look, I'm going to get to heaven by working my way there, do yourself a favor. Do other people a favor. Don't call yourself a Christian. That seems really harsh, right? (laughs) But it confuses so many people when, look, you're a Christian and you're trying to get yourself to heaven with your good works, and this person's a Christian, they're saying you just have to pray this prayer, and then these people are Christians, and they're saying you believe and you repent and you live your life for Him because of faith and love. What is it? I don't know. So, Let's just be honest with ourselves, and if we're going to try to work our way to heaven, let's call ourselves legalists rather than Christians. Because when we try to obey the law, we've severed ourselves, we've cut ourselves off from Christ. Even if you get those laws, those rules that you come up with from the Bible, you know, well, they're all scripturally based. Well, so were Satan's temptations of Jesus, right? (laughs) We can twist it, we can do with it strange things. But you either choose law or you choose Christ. When you choose Christ, you're freed from the law. When you choose the law, you're cut off, you're kept from, you're severed from Christ. We have no way of getting to Christ through, through the law. We, we are born under the law. We've talked about that. We're born as enemies of God under the law because we can't fulfill His law. And we either remain there or later on we try to revert back to that as Christians, when we go back to the law. Romans 5.10 says we were enemies of God before Jesus saved us. We were still His enemies when He saved us, until He changed us. We, as human beings, have been in rebellion against God ever since the fall of man into sin. We reject Him and His law. You know, God, I don't know what you said. I don't want to know what you said. And even if I do know what it, I want to do what I want to do. We think our laws, our ideas are better than God's laws, and what he thinks, that's rebellion against him, that's sin. And it looks like breaking any and every one of his rules, as the whole mass of humanity does and as individuals, what we should be doing is living every moment in praise to him, every moment of our lives singing to him, speaking to him, speaking about him, praying. We don't and we don't want to so often. That's why this rebellion of sin includes not just the obvious lying and stealing and killing, you know, and all the rest. It also includes, sin also includes our efforts to obey the law. When we try to obey the law, we're trying to do it for our own reasons, for our own good, right? Because we think we can. Because we think God's laws aren't that high after all. I can achieve them, It's a a way of rejecting God's law as holy, as good as he is, and we forfeit any help from Jesus. We obligate ourselves to keep the whole law, and we destroy any relationship that we might have had with Jesus to try to keep the law. That keeps every person from salvation. The law does. Our efforts to obey it. So, this most obviously and directly applies to the person who wants to become a Christian. But what about those who already are? When we turn back to the law, brother and sister, if we're already justified by God's grace through Jesus and His righteousness being applied, well, this is where we have to recognize trying to keep the law for what it really is. It's not a little thing. It's not just a little sin. It's not a soft sin. We should treat our own efforts, our own rule-following, law-abiding works as if we had lied or stolen or killed. That's how seriously we should treat this, going back to the law. We confess it to God. We repent of it because He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, including when we've tried to break off any relationship with Jesus through the law, and He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. This is how damaging this is. This is how harmful this is to our faith when we just try to follow some rules, you know, just for the betterment of other people or just just to make myself a little bit better. It's not good. It's bad. Maybe we see some outward things that we find encouraging immediately, right? We start following the law and, hey, I'm doing, I'm doing well. I'm doing some good things. But he's helping us to see, look, Paul says, look, this is the truth about what we're doing. When we try to follow rules, obeying rules and laws that we can accomplish has terrible outcomes, including the next one, D, in verse 4, you're fallen from grace. Fallen from Now, if, if the previous verses haven't kind of shaken us a little bit, this one usually hits people pretty hard, especially as as Christians, as believers, right? Are you saying that somebody can lose their salvation? What does this mean? Well, there's no really getting around the words. You can fall away from grace. And you do that when you turn to works instead of grace that comes through faith in Christ. This is a very frightening statement of reality here, and it's supposed to be. I mean, just stop for a moment and feel these outcomes, turning to the law instead of Christ, you lose any benefit from Him. You commit yourself to the literally impossible task of fulfilling the whole thing. You cut yourself off from Jesus completely and you fall away from grace. Think about how awful that all is. I mean, what kind of life would that lead to if we had no hope in Christ, if we had no help from Christ, if we were left to do this all on our own, if we started to buy into that and believe that, the, the, the hopelessness, the faithlessness that, that we would experience, that you know, knowing that we're going to face punishment forever because we've epically failed at keeping any part of the law, let alone the whole thing. I mean, eternal sadness and regret, I mean, all of that would be included in a life where we've cut ourselves off from Christ and His help, where we've fallen away from grace Grace here, what is is grace? It's God's divine favor on you that you did not and could not earn. Grace is given to us in Jesus. It's the unearned favor of God on you, acceptance of you by God. And to fall away means to forfeit or lose it. So how do we make sense of this? What does this mean? You know, sometimes we associate God's grace directly with salvation as if it's the same thing. And it's not the same thing. They're related and God's grace is necessary, but it's not the same thing because God's grace gives us everything we have. Our life, our breath, our food, our water, all of that. But look at the list that you have in your notes. What else does God's grace actually do? In the Scriptures, God's grace, Galatians 1.15 said, it calls us to salvation. God's grace calls us. God's grace brings us to uh, salvation in Titus 2. God's grace justifies us. God's grace saves us. This is all what God does because of His grace in us. Now, after He has called us and brought us salvation and justified us and saved us, then His grace gives us mercy and grace to help in time of need, Hebrews 4 says. His grace gives us gifts to serve with. His grace enables us to serve mightily, and His grace strengthens us, 2 Timothy 2. So, when we turn to the law, we turn away from grace. We fall away from grace. What does that mean? Well, if you are not a justified, redeemed, forgiven, self-denying follower of Jesus Christ, when you continue in the law, you fall away from God's grace that would call you to salvation, that would bring you salvation, that would justify you, that would save you, along with the rest of the list that's for those who have already been saved. When you turn to the law and you're not a believer already, you've cut yourself off from all of that. You've fallen away from that grace. If you are a justified, redeemed, forgiven, self-denying follower of Jesus Christ, when you and I turn to the law, here's the good news. We can't undo what God has said, what God has done. But we can fall away from His grace that gives us mercy and grace to help in time of need. We can fall away from the grace that God has given us to serve with the gifts that we've been given. We can end up laboring without God's enabling, and we can grow weak because we don't have The grace of God to strengthen us. This verse doesn't mean that we'll lose our salvation. It it means we either lose the way for us to be saved by God's grace, or we lose access to all that Jesus brings us into our life by His grace. So, see it for what it is. Law, obedience is not a little thing. It's not just a little issue, and it doesn't help us in any way. These are the severe outcomes of turning to law instead of Jesus, and it's sobering. It's a reality that we need to see, and we need to repent every time we do it, every time we see it in our life. We're either going to try to justify ourselves in it, because when we see it, we're going to say, well, but it's not that bad. It's for a good reason, right? We're either going to try to justify ourselves, or we're going to get to the place where we believe the lie that, well, now I'm too far gone. God can't forgive me. Either one of those is the wrong place to be. See it in our lives. Watch, look, see it, stop, turn to Jesus. Where's the good news? Well, the good news is that when we turn to Him, He forgives us again. He, he accepts us all over again by His grace. So that not only do we need to stand in the freedom He gives us, not only do we need to not submit to legalism, works-based obedience, number three, what He says in verses 5 and 6, is that we need to hope through the Spirit by faith working through love. Hope through the Spirit. What does this mean? Well, we understand, of course, that God in His holiness, in His perfect, pure righteousness, cannot allow, will not allow anything in His presence that is also not perfectly pure and holy and righteous. No human being has that and and can do that. No one can earn that. The only way for that to happen is for us to be given that undeservedly. And so 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we can become in Him the righteousness of God. It can be given to us undeservedly. That's how we can be declared righteous, right? That's justified. That's how that happens. We've talked about that. We are not righteous, but we can be declared so because of Jesus. That's once true, always true. You can't reverse the declaration of God. If God declares you righteous, even though you're not, positionally before him because of Jesus, you're declared righteous. You can't argue with God. We can't fix that, you know, undo that, go back on that. That is our justification. But then, as we talk about, there is a daily process of becoming conformed to the image of Jesus and righteousness. We call this sanctification. Again, we're not righteous. But we're being progressively, daily, being made righteous in Jesus, by Jesus, in practice. And we've talked about that in this letter. But this is different. This time when we see this, this is what we call glorification, where we are actually made righteous. Where he brings us home to himself. Right now we're eagerly waiting for the hope of righteousness. It isn't here yet. We won't have it here, but we will later when he brings us home. This hope of righteousness is not the world's idea of hope. And I love so, so many of the things that were said in the service and so many of the things that we sang together in the service all have direct bearing on these verses and what we're learning in here and being reminded of that the hope that we have scripturally, the hope from God is not a hope of if. Oh, I sure hope this happens. This is a hope of when. I know it's going to happen. It's just when. It's not if, but When. This is one of the ways we know that justification and sanctification always leads to glorification. Our salvation is secure. When He who began the good work in us, maybe He'll bring it to completion. <laughs> That's not what it says. He will. God doesn't have any partially finished projects. He's not, he doesn't start a project and then give up on it. Our salvation is secure in God because it's His work. And our hope is sure because it's not if But when, if our hope was if, oh, what a miserable life we would have. Walking around in this Christian life wondering, did it it stick? Did it take? Is God going to do what he said he was going to do? I just don't know. I don't know if I've done enough. Why don't we know? Because he's put eternity in our hearts, Ecclesiastes 3 says. So we know that our works aren't going to be enough, but we hope they will be. And it's just, it produces worry and anxiety and sadness and depression. That's not any hope that the Bible talks about. We have hope because we know it's true, because he's told us. In Christ and through the Spirit, there's no wonder or worry, there's certainty about God's promise. We have, you remember, we've learned about in Galatians 4.29, we have the Spirit from whom we are born again. Galatians 3:14, we receive the Spirit Himself through faith. So we eagerly wait. This is a positive thing. You know, sometimes or so often we think about waiting as a negative thing, like, oh, I gotta wait. Here he's saying, we are eagerly waiting. This is a positive experience of waiting, he's talking about, because we know it's true. It's not if, it's when. I look forward to it. It's what I'm waiting for, and I'm waiting for it with enthusiasm, with eagerness, that's what he says. It's a positive thing, and it's not even, oh, I can't wait. It's a, I must wait, and I'm happy about it. You ever said that about anything? <laughs> I've got to wait and I'm happy about it. That's what God does in us. That's what the Spirit does in us through faith. We're waiting and we're happy about it because that's what God has for us. Is that what you look forward to? You know, so, there's so much talk today about the end, the end times, or when we go to, to be with the Lord when we die. What are we looking forward to? If, if our desires don't align with God's desires, what's His desire for creation? What's his, the whole point for creation is to glorify Himself, right? If my desire is something different, well, one of us is going to have to give. It's not going to be the Lord, is it? We look forward to those things wrongly when we look forward to them for some reason other than I get to be with Him and in righteousness. No more sinning. No more offending him. No more turning back to the law. No more turning away from him. And it becomes, it's not, the, it's not the, I don't know why I'm going through this, but I don't know why I'm going through this and I don't need to know because I trust in you, Lord. And this is where we see where our heart is. Verse 6 says that's why we, the, the stuff we do in the flesh, whether we're circumcised or not, it's all worthless. That doesn't matter. It doesn't count for anything. What counts is faith working through love. You have faith in Jesus, so you love Jesus. Faith works, love works. The encouragement here is that even when we mess up and we turn back to works, like circumcision, there's hope in Jesus. It's not all about the flesh. Now, this scares people because it sounds like you're saying, like, it doesn't matter what you do. Like, you can just do whatever you want in the flesh because it doesn't matter. That's not what he's saying here. It's what we do from our flesh is of no account, but our faith working through love is what makes all the difference. Faith working through love, it's, it's faith, it's love in operation, it's an active working love. That's what faith is. Faith works, love works. Faith is energized by love. You believe in Jesus, the more you know and you believe, the more you love Him. And then, therefore, the, the more that you work. It's true faith and love, which brings about work, not as slaves, because the law, our obedience to the law, it's like a slave master pushing us, pulling us, punishing us, dragging us, all of those things the law does. Faith and love in us, along with hope, work together to motivate us. That's the difference. Okay, our application, since we're out of time. Really, our application is all three of these instructions. Stand firm. That's the first one. Stand firm. Stand firm in what? Well, the freedom that we have in Christ. That's what he tells us to do. Secondly, do not submit to law. Watch for that. Don't submit to anything other than Christ for your righteousness. He is all of our righteousness, not anything I can do. And hope, faith, and love in the Spirit. There is hope, there is faith, there is love. All three of these great Christian truths that are alive and well within us and motivate us in the Spirit. And the last one here is repent when you get off track. Repent, because it's not if, it's when. (laughs) We're going to get off track, but our biblical hope right now is declared righteousness. It's progressive righteousness in our life, and in the future, it's completed righteousness where we get to be with Jesus forever in a way that's forever pleasing to him in glory. Father, we praise you for that truth, the fact of what you have said. God, right now, we look at ourselves and we're not righteous. God, we keep turning back to try to make ourselves righteous. Lord, you've told us that's the wrong way. That's the wrong way to turn, the wrong way to go. Father, help us to know and to believe that, Lord. Help us to see it in our life. God, help us more than any of that to see Jesus. Lord, His perfect righteousness was earned by Him, but not kept by Him. Lord, it was given to us in Him. Father, what truth, what grace, what blessing this is. Father, this this is hope for us. This is hope for the future. Lord, this is faith for us now this truth. God, we praise you for this. We thank you for this truth. Lord, help us to live in this every day. Lord, help us not to be afraid of going out into the world loving Jesus, not loving our laws and our rules and ourselves. Help us, God, to celebrate our Savior. Help us to grow more in faith in Him, in love for Him. Father, that we would be glorifying you in our lives. Lord, that we'd not be pushed and pulled and dragged by the law. But God, we would be motivated and running, Lord, to fight this good fight because of our love for our Savior. We praise you and thank you that he is good and he is with us, and he's powerful and wise. Lord, thank you so much for our Savior, Jesus. In his name we ask all of this and for your glory. Amen.